which was the first real sound that had ever been transmitted to a human ear by electricity. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 5 of the Music Dissectors, recorded June 22nd, 2017. I'm your host David Holloway and with me as always is a man who battled the Sydney Film Festival for what I believe is more than the 20th time this year. How are you, Matthew? I, I am having trouble readjusting to natural light. My, my, my pupils are pinpricks, it's terrible. <laughs> for those that don't know, Matthew, when I say he's battled the Sydney Film Festival, it means, is it fair to say, Matthew, you watched every single film screened? Well, no, nobody can do that. Okay. They, they screened so many of them simultaneously. I, I, I did, uh, I, I actually did a, did a count. Uh, I think it was uh, 25 features, eight documentaries, one animated feature... 16 animated shorts and four animated, sorry, four live action shorts. It was, you know, it's a lot of movies, a lot of movies to watch in 11 days. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you've got better stamina than I do. Look, I, I, I tell you, by the, by the end, because it, it was at the State Theatre, which does not have the most comfortable seats in no. the world. You know, by, by the end of it, uh, my, my coccyx was screaming at me. The screaming coccyxes. There's you, you, another band you, you, name. You, you, can, you, can say, uh, you can say coccyx in a podcast, can't you? Well, absolutely. And it, I think it was you that came up with the Withered Ears, or Dave Ketley last episode talked about the Withered Ears. I said it was a good band name. The screaming coccyxes, if it's not taken, is another good one. Well, the, the plural of coccyx, as you no doubt know, being a registered nurse, is, is coccyges. That's right. Well, that takes coccyges. The screaming coccyges. I like that. I, I like that too. Um, that's copyright, though it's it's ours. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't want I don't want some other band going out there calling themselves the Screaming Coxages. No, not allowed. I'm going to register domain. <laughs> um, so, just speaking of Dave Ketley, big thanks again today for for jumping in last episode with um, our discussion on the Stooges' raw power. That that was excellent. Had a lot of good feedback on that. So yeah, thanks, Dave. And Dave's out doing the do with uh, Radio Birdman around Australia as we speak. So, um, and I know I always say it's a contrast, but it, it is fair to say the Stooges is one hell of a contrast to who um, we're talking about this episode, Matthew. So yes. um, I can't imagine Joni Mitchell ever guested with the Stooges or vice versa. Oh man, that'd be a show. <laughs> I, I I I don't believe so. No, I don't believe they they moved in the same circles. That's. I'm, I'm just 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 trying to imagine how Iggy would react if you said, "So, would you like to go to a folk rock concert?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting. So, um, yeah, there's lots of folk at my concerts. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> 
1974. So the only the thing they do have in common is they're a year apart. Uh, the discussion. So it was 1973 for Raw Power and 1974 for Court and Spark from Joni Mitchell. Um, so it's a hell of a contrast, but it's it's a massive album. And as you'll hear when we talk to um, our guest, um, there's just so much to talk about with the album. So Jewel uh, Sobule is as you'll hear, someone that I've, I've admired for over 25 years. And I think it's fair to say, Matthew, um, she was just a bit passionate about Joni Mitchell. A little bit. A little bit. She, she, she Clearly, Joni had an impact. And um, a big impact it was, as you'll hear, with Jill and, and more widely. So, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy the, this interview a lot. Um, Jill is just... She's just a pleasure to speak to. Is that the best way to put it? Yeah, it was a very, very, very enjoyable chat. She's had one hell of a career in her own right. So, I mean, she's released seven studio albums, four EPs, three live albums. Um, and if you get the chance, do click on the links in the show notes because some of her work, or, or I'd argue all of her work, is, is pretty amazing. But her 2014 release, just off the cuff, Dottie's Charms, is just an amazing piece. I actually hadn't listened to it until prior to this podcast and it, it just, on its own is well worth a buy, so I'll have those links there. Um, a lot of people will tend to know her from her biggest hit single, I Kissed a Girl, and I mean, it was a great hit, but there's a, a hell of a lot more to Jules' work than that. Um, so, I mean, she's she's been at it the whole time since 1986, and then her first album was in 1990. Um, as you'll hear, she's worked with some amazing people, um, has some, some very forthright political perspectives, um, I think it's fair to say, Matthew, not, n none of which we particularly disagreed with. Um, I think we're on the same page Look, I, there. I, I just think it's time to make America great again. Frankly, it's just <laughs> it's, it's, it's what we have it's what we have to do. That's right. Well, maybe on that note, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not going to back away from that. No, well, you're a man of you you're a man of principle. Um, First so, thing we need to do to make America great again: get rid of Donald Trump. There you go. So, so let's have a listen to how Jewel's going to make America great again um, and enjoy the interview. Love came to my door with a sleeping roll And a madman's soul He thought for sure I'd seen him Dancing up a river in the dark Looking for a woman to court so, Jill, thanks again for joining us. It's um, a nice summer afternoon for you, at least. Oh, it is. It is. Um, it's, but I was at like yesterday. I was in Las Vegas, and it was 115. Yeah, that's not nice. And Ugh. and and uh, what's not what's that in the the rest of the world? Uh, 115. Yeah, what is that? It's 40. I have no idea. I think it's well it's, into the 40s. It's not good. Not good. No, it's 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 higher than I would like it to be. Yeah, people weren't meant to live in those in those temperatures. And that's that's forty six degrees centigrade, forty six. Yeah, that's insane. That's, no, that's that's not good. No. See, so, they, they, they 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 shut down airports at forty seven degrees Celsius. So, I know they were doing it in Phoenix, but mm. I love how we're starting with the weather. I was about to say that's it's, a sign of great. three over thirties, three people over I know. thirty. <laughs> you know, when it gets so, this cold, my so room would come up. 
the sad, the saddest thing about it is I, I, I really kind of get excited by that talk. That's the saddest. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, so yeah, look, thanks again for joining us, Jill. Um, we, as um, we've already explained to our listeners, we, we're here to talk about um, Joni Mitchell's uh, great album, um, Caught and Spark. But before before we start that, I just wanted to give you a quick a- anecdote, if I can. So um, I don't know. Have you ever been to Australia, Jill? I have. Do you know? I was on one of the last Wait Wait shows. Oh, really? Well, oh, wait, wait, it's Saturday. What is it called? Wait, wait, or not wait, wait. No, well, hey, 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 it's oh, Saturday. Oh, hey, hey, it's Saturday. Hey, hey, it's Saturday. Okay. <laughs> it was one of the most amazing shows. It was the one and only time I lip synced with a band that they they gave me a book of, of different bands, like their looks. None of them played. They were all models. Do I Did I want a hot chick band or did I want a, like a hard rock looking band? You're kidding. Oh, no, it was fantastic. Jill, Jill, I have to emphasise that in the first two minutes, for our Australian listeners at least, you've just made this podcast worthwhile. (laughs) (laughs) That is absolute gold. Um, That is amazing. Something something I never knew about Hey Hey. I've learned something. I can die happy now. (laughs) That is stunning. Um, I, I, I picked the hot chick band, by the way. Good. Well, who wouldn't? (laughs) Um, i wish they would have had one a page i wish they would have had a page of like dumpy middle-aged guys you know (laughs) like real estate salesmen i would have picked that one well that's oh that would be fantastic that sort of is their their house band really uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you have a point so, um, yeah, Jill, about 25 years ago, I'm just going gonna, gonna to bore you with an anecdote, but the reason I asked if you come to Australia is I, I uh, was a university student in a small regional city called Wagga Wagga, which you may not have heard of, um, and was walking along, I caught the bus into town one day to go to the local music store, and there are only two of them in, in the city, believe it or not, um, and made a habit each month of going in and buying one album based on nothing but either the cover, the song choices, or just the, I like the look of it overall. So I didn't know the artist, whatever. So on this day in 1990, uh, walked past and there was an album called Things Here Are Different from someone, oh my gosh. From someone called Jill Sobule. So um, it was one of the better blind buys, I've got to say, that I've made and I still listen to the album today. So that's what led to really me... Um, inviting you on here, so I suppose that's a, a non-subtle way of saying I'm a fan anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, but good to know. It's, good, it's always good to know. So you, you've been a well-known musician for all of those 25-plus years since then. Um, as hard as it can be to, to, to distill a career down to a few minutes, can you tell us a little bit about your career? So I know, I know it's a big ask, but just basically tell <laughs> – for those that may not know you as well as I do, but just talk about your 25-year-plus career, some highlights, and, and what you're up to at the moment too, most importantly. Well, in short, I did that record, and, and it, it got some critical acclaim, but of course it, it, it wasn't a big seller. And then uh, I got dropped from the label. After, I actually did a uh, – Joe Jackson produced the next record that they didn't like. But I just wanted to say, because I was a big Joe Jackson fan. And then 
I had uh, in '95. I had a couple. I had a couple hits in the the mid '90s, and then uh, was on indie labels and have uh, always kind of. You know, the one thing I love about Joni, and not to compare myself at all, is I love the fact that she would always experiment everything from, you know, when she played with Jocko to, to doing the Mingus record, not, but, but, uh, I, I think that I've always, uh, much to the detriment of my career, but I've always liked to experiment, always play around. But the good thing is I've, I've somehow I've managed to survive and, and not have to have a straight job. So, uh, if that's in in the last twenty five years, I've been working on musicals. In the last few years, um, I was very involved in in in, in uh, politics and music. I, I uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign had me on for a, a lot to play. I, I uh, my my kind of funny political songs. So uh, y- you know. You, you know we have a new president, right? Oh, yeah. And, and believe me, we're going to get on to that. There's absolutely no <laughs> doubt about that. Can I just tell you how much I love your president for making fun of him that won that tape? <laughs> <laughs> and and the best thing about that, Jill, is he's a very unfunny guy generally, so we're, we're particularly impressed <laughs> down here. He, he really, really is well, very unfunny. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. We were, we were in hysterics. I mean, we might as well segue into that before we get on to, to Joni. So, I mean, about your new president, I mean, when I was doing the research for this interview, I hadn't actually run across your um, song released from last year, Our America Back, and, and it's made my my month as far as just what a great <laughs> song it is. But um, yeah, it's just... I agree. Yeah, it's full and frank and joyful um, and was also done, most importantly, before he was even elected. So a lot of the stuff you talk about in that song um, has come to pass, but it hadn't at that stage. Yeah, but it was brewing. It definitely was brewing, you know, and the anti-immigrant sentiment. And, uh, you know, I must say, can I just put a non sequitur in here? Please do. Is that, you know... The, you know, some of the more more prejudiced people are upset by the the wave of of uh, people from South America or, or Mexico or, or or from the Middle East. But I know a lot of people that are really upset about, especially in LA, of the influx of all the Australians coming <laughs> over here in LA. They're taking over all the surf shops. There, um, it's amazing. No, I just have to say, I just did a whole recording session with Australian musicians last week. So, yeah, that's wow. They're taking, they're taking over my city. It is time to build a wall. We have to build that. <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or put an ocean between our countries or something. I don't know. There's got to be some solution. I don't know. I don't know, but that, uh, um, I, I love actually that the, the Trump has brought you. Uh, you guys are are like one of our enemies now. I love that. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, how was the song received, Jill, <laughs> when you released it? And since then, I mean, you know, it 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 is fairly frank. Did you have a lot of reaction to it when it came out? Oh yeah, and I got tons of hate mail and trolls. It was amazing. I never had that before. 
you make that sound like it's a good thing. Well, if someone was going to say something like, oh, you know, you, I would be upset if someone said like, oh, you look, a, have you gained some weight or, <laughs> you know, we like your, we don't like your new record as well. But when they come and call me a, a, a commie dyke Jew, it's so over the top <laughs> that I get, I get kind of pickled. Fair yeah. enough. You, know, you, you can't take you, that you, you, you can't take that seriously at all, can you? <laughs> no, 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 no. It kind of tickles me because it's so over the top. Yeah. And, I mean, I will link to the song um, in the show notes for our listeners because it, it is well worth a listen. It's, um, and it's obvious you yeah. know, you're playing with a bunch terrific of Terrific video. Yeah, it is. Terrific video, a lot of, a lot of happiness and joy in it, which is great. It, 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 it's funny because it's such, um, in, in, in a lot of ways, such a pessimistic song. Uh, and and an angry song, and yet, you know, you you you, you watch it, and it's it's like Frente, or it's like Fairground Attraction, it's like some of that sort of mid '90s. My God, this is so incredibly optimistic. This <laughs> this is this is so happy, and yet, if you listen to the lyrics, uh, you know, there's there's uh, this this sort of uh, cynical under undertone to it. it I, I love it. I love it. No oh, thanks. You know, I was debating between that Joni. Or there was a John Prine album I loved that my bro- older brother gave me. And he was able to have these little story songs of the most depressing stories. But if you, you know, with this kind of happy music, like the one song <sighs> about, you know, the Vietnam vet coming back as a junkie. But it has, for some reason, the, the happier it is, the more, uh, the, the more kind of de- depressing it is it's great you know mm. you juxtapose that yeah. yeah and that's probably a perfect segue to Joni Mitchell um jo- so yeah we we are talking about her 1974 album Caught and Spark so probably to, to start off with Jill can you in the broader terms tell us what your memories are of, of hearing that album for the first time and and the impact that it had on you and I was like 13 or 14, and I was over a friend's older sister's house had the record. And, you know, I was a big music freak, but I, I didn't... I It was always mostly the music for me, and this was the first album I remember, and totally focusing on the lyrics. And she was... It was literature to me. It, I'd never heard anyone say the things she did in a, in a song. Uh, and um, uh, plus, sonically, that album is so gorgeous. Uh, it just blew, it blew me away in so many ways. And the, the, the thing that was interesting is that, you know, here I was, 13-year-old girl, and the sophistication of the lyrics, I don't know why or how I related to them, but you're even talking about uh, the kind of little funny jab, like when she goes, why would a 13-year-old be so into the lyric, uh, dreaming of the pleasure I'm going to have watching your hairline recede, my vain darling? You know, that <laughs> but somehow I knew that was, that was incredible, and I connected to that. Settle down into the clickety-clack with the clouds and 
I, I need to plead my ignorance here, Julian, that I hadn't actually listened to this album from start to finish prior to you confirming it was the one you wanted to speak about, whereas, Matthew, I know you've listened to it um, yeah. a number of times, and, and I assumed that this was one you grew up with. You know, I grew, I grew up in Canada in the 70s, and Joni Mitchell and uh, you know, um, Leonard Cohen and, and, and you know, other Canadian songwriters were very much kind of part of the atmosphere. You, 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 you kind of breathed them in. You didn't have to go out of your way to find uh, Joni Mitchell to listen to because it was playing at somebody's house all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, familiar, you know, as a kid, you know, everybody had, uh, you know, Big Yellow Taxi. Everybody had Blue. It was it was an omnipresent thing. Uh, so you know when when you when you said Court and Spark for for this, I thought well, that's an that's an interesting one because it something I didn't know that is that uh, this is actually Joni Mitchell's biggest selling album. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, know that either. I, I I didn't realize it because to me it's not one of the ones that I think of. If I think Joni Mitchell, you know I think Big Yellow Taxi or I think Blue. I think you know one of these iconic covers that everybody had in their house at that time. I don't think of Court and Spark, but apparently this is the biggest selling one. So that actually that actually surprised me to learn. Mm. Um, and and it, it, it's it's quite different to those earlier albums, um, you know, because it's got the the much more jazz fusion sort of edge to it uh, than the, than the earlier albums. So it's it's not the one that I immediately think of if I think of Joni Mitchell. Yeah, you th- you think of the the her uh, dulcimer albums like Blue yeah. and Ladies of the Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. All the, the, the those earlier ones, all the all the stuff that uh, you know, um, Judy Collins covered everything on and that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> right, right. Gorgeous record. Yeah. yeah. And the reason I've mentioned my own ignorance is that I've had the unique experience of listening to an album 43 years later that I, ha- I had never heard before. And just going back to your point, Jill, about the lyrics, is that's the thing that has stood out for me the most, that the power of the lyrics right from the very first um, song, as far as um, love came to my door with a sleeping roll and a madman's soul. He thought for sure I'd seen him dancing up a river in the dark, looking for a wim- woman to court and spark. I mean, just from the very outset, it packs a punch. Um, and that and you, the band you mentioned, I mean, I, I just can't get over the quality of the production. Yeah, the production was beautiful. And you listen to it, to records a couple years earlier and that there is a difference like that i think this was kind of the high point of that kind of well you know it was the 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 you know what the other thing i miss nowadays is looking at uh, uh who played drums who played the pedal steel who played on all mm. of these things and and it was like the most amazing musicians at the time and in, in la that played on that record she always she always was uh, good at that yeah, I mean, she pulled together. I, I mean, it was um, LA Express were the, the underpinnings of most right. of the songs and, yeah, just amazing musicians. And you can tell, I, and I was actually unaware of that as well, just listening, I thought, these musicians are tight. They've obviously played together a long time and the instrumentation is just brilliant and then, yeah, looked it up and realised that's why, that they're a jazz outfit with a lot of experience. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, her, her her previous albums had been much more in that sort of folk rock strain, where a kind of uh, a rawness or uh, an, an amateur edge was a desirable thing. It was a thing that you aimed for. You you know, the, the the most polished folk rock album 
sounds like something that's been put together in somebody's backyard shed. Uh, right. Where, where, where this Which is, is great, too. Absolutely, it's absolutely it's it's part of what makes that appeal so much. You you, you hear the background sounds and stuff. It's you hear the studio. We're here. There's there's definitely a focus on we're, we're we're making you listen to this music. You know, you're not listening to the atmosphere around it anymore. This is this is about the music. It's not about we're we're not pretending to be in a club. We're pretending to be in your head, kind of thing. Which is which is kind of a jazz approach in in a lot of ways. Right, as opposed, and it, as opposed to a that, folk approach. It, right, and it's that fine line of either being gorgeous and beautiful or being, uh, you know, overwrought, and and why punk rock started. But I think yeah. this was this was uh, this was before it, it got uh, you know wretched and over the top. I think this is such a beautiful, beautiful mm. record, and things like "Down to You." Down to you, the orchestration and the woodwinds and that. Go down to the pickup station, craving warmth and beauty. You settle for less than fascination. A few drinks later, you're not so choosy. When the closing lights strip off the shadows on this strange new flesh you found. Clutching the night to you like a fig leaf, you hurry to the blackness and the blankets to lay down an impression and you're alone. against a stranger and you both apologize old friends seem indifferent you must have brought that on old bonds have broken down love is gone Ooh, love is gone written on your spirit this sad song love is gone I remember on that that song when all of a sudden it stops and it goes, love is gone. That, and, you know, the chorus of angels singing, love is gone. And uh, I just wondered as a, as a teenage girl, why such a depressing lyrical album had so much appeal to me. And have you, do you feel like you've answered that question since, Jill? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, here, a lot of this comes from, as opposed to her early records, this one comes, it's a very mature record Mm. as far as her, you know, it feels like she's she's been through, she's been through it. (laughs) She's been through some bad relationships and there's a certain cynicism. And I don't know what makes us listen to those. Um, Because we've all been through bad relationships? I suppose know, at 13, we usually haven't, have we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you want to hear something? This guy, Robbie Naiman, right? Who broke mm-hmm. up with me in sixth grade. <laughs> we went out for two weeks and I hadn't seen him since. And he Facebooked me last month for the first time. <laughs> it says, I hope you're still not mad at me. And I wrote him back. So now you come crawling back. <laughs> But I, I think that it is, I mean, that period, especially, I mean, for girls and boys, I think seventh grade was so horrible. Seventh and eighth grade are 
horrible, horrible times for, especially for girls. I don't know about boys, but I think there is something about depressing lyrics or music that gives us comfort that we're not alone. Mm, Absolutely. And I mean, you, you mentioned Down to You, Jill, so that's obviously a track that's resonated with you. Do, let's jump into a couple of the tracks. So if you had to list a top three or five on the end, what are the ones that you still go back to now um, in an ideal world would cover if the opportunity arose and so on? Oh, I think I always loved Down to You. I, I think that was the one that I would always play over and over. And I think, uh, help me, I think I'm falling in love with again, you know, that, because it was just so, I'm on, my God, the music and that lyric, it just right away, it just tells you what it is. That was kind of brilliant. But Down to You just had this, I think it was the orchestration, and it took you on a story, like your other fellow Canadian, um, Leonard Cohen. I mean, she's a storyteller. Yeah. And and to me, Down to You just... Uh, that and this train, they, they just felt like they were narratives. And, the, yeah, they, they very much are. Uh-huh. They set the um, thing. Uh, just, just you, 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 you mentioned um, Help Me there. Uh, do, you, do you watch South Park at all? I used to watch it all the time. It's still it's great. So there, there, there's, there's a rather uh, poignant episode of South Park in, in, in which Cartman is... is Bullying, as always, uh, the character of Butters. I don't know if you're familiar. Mm. I love Butters. And, 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 and Butters is sitting in his bedroom and he's singing Help Me to himself. Oh. And, and it's just one of the saddest things in the history of TV. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, you've you, you got tears in your eyes now. Just, just, ima- just imagining this little cartoon boy who's being picked on by the fat kid. <laughs> and he, and he's, yeah, he's singing Johnny Mitchell. Yeah, it's so great. You know, uh, another thing about Joni is I will never, ever cover one of her songs. I just think, I, I don't know, it just seems sacrilege and how do you how do you do that? And also, who wants to learn all those tunings? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, but, it's a trick, isn't it? <laughs> but a, a friend of mine, do you know the band X? They were one of yeah, the yeah. seminal punk. So uh, John Doe, who's a singer and bass player, one of my friends, he does a version of A Case of You, Joni Mitchell's. And when a guy sings a Joni Mitchell song, and he does it in this gorgeous crooning voice and, you know, this punk rocker singing a Joni rock, and it, it'll make you swoon so much. I'm going to have to chase that one down now. Oh, uh, yeah. it's so beautiful. But, see, uh, see if you can link to that in the program notes, David. I shall. Um, and you mentioned orchestration overall with Court and Spark, um, Jill. I mean, one of the things that stood out to me, and I mentioned it briefly with them using the, the group LA Express, is it seems to have been a pretty driven decision to keep the instrumentation limited to what now we'd think of as the basics. So acoustic guitar, bass, drums, piano, with the woodwinds, reed and brass, you know, added in, in sparingly but effectively in the album. It's... It's one of those arts, Jill, that has been lost, I'd argue, over recent decades as far as keeping it to that base set of instruments. Um, do you think it was an active choice Joni Mitchell made at the time or was one driven by necessity? Uh, probably a little bit of both. Uh, probably the first. But that's the, that's the way 
they saw it on the other hand yeah that there there was a certain joy of of you know now you can have a thousand tracks and play back and forth with them um no i think it was still those days of let's let's put together let's have this session band i'd be interesting to know if they they did all the basic tracks and everything in uh, all together yeah, that was what I was wondering as well. And I haven't been able to find the answer to that, but I'm assuming they did as a jazz group, but that's a big assumption. I, th- I think so, yeah. but it is an assumption, but I, I would maybe bet on it. Mm. Maybe, you know what? That's a good thing. Maybe I'll find out from people. I know some old-timers. Yeah. session players. That's a good thing to find out. I mean, this, this was the album. She took a year off. I mean, up, up until, what, 72, she, she'd released an album every year. And then uh, she took a year off. She said, I, I want to get the next one right. I want to do this one really polished, really, really well. She took a year off. And then it was 74 that she put out Court and Spark. Uh, after, after having you know, spent a lot of time you know, perfecting it, getting it to exactly the point that she wanted to. So you know, I'm, I'm inclined... I, I don't know whether it was a matter of do it all at once or whether it was, you know, add as needed. But, you know, I, I, I'm certainly inclined to think that what, what she ended up with was exactly what she was after and not, and not something that she was, as, as you say, driven to by necessity. She, she, she had the time, she had the, the, the means to make the album that she really, really wanted. And she had, and, and she did, she, she, she produced the product that she was trying to produce. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. So she hadn't she hadn't taken this long to produce an album before. No. And this one, like you said, this was this was different than the last ones. This mm. this mm. was uh um I think she was thinking sonically in a different way. Yeah. Well there th- there'd been this kind of jazz edge sort of floating around the margins, the periphery of a lot of what she'd done earlier. Um, in ter- in terms of the vocal styling, in terms of as you say the the, the tunings, um, you know it's very atypical for for folk or for folk rock or certainly for pop. Uh, she's she's doing stuff that's very different lyrically and 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 sonically, um, and I think what she wanted to do here was was say okay, I I want to actually explore jazz a bit in a, in a much right. more thorough way than she had before. Right. I just wonder if there were some folk purists like there were with Dylan in Newport. You were who I, I wonder if there were people who who disliked this her her direction. I, I think yeah. From my reading, there were there was a lot of disagreement throughout her whole career on that. Um, and you, you mentioned Dylan there, Jill. That's one of the most fascinating things she's been quoted as saying, which is I like a lot of Bob's songs musically. He's not very gifted. Um, which is something I have <laughs> to admit. Which is so true. It is absolutely true. Yeah. God, I know she said some things. She said some. She said some. Sometimes some kind of bitter, snarky things in in her last, you know, in the last years. I think. Yeah. You know. Well, but I mean, Dylan's also been mean to her. I know. A folk wars, like the yes. early rap years. <laughs> There's a story just on the subject of Dylan that um, uh, when uh, Court and Spark was about to come out, uh, Joni Mitchell was over at David Geffen's house 
uh, and Bob Dylan was there, and she played Court and Spark as it was then um, for Dylan and Geffen, and Dylan fell asleep. <laughs> Hysterical. And, 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 and she reckons that he did that deliberately. <laughs> Just to be I... mean, he fell asleep on me. So great. She could be right, too. That, that, that is so petty. You know, I have a song called Heroes about all my heroes and how they can be assholes. Mm-hmm. And I have one of the lines in Heroes, Dylan was so mean to Donovan in that movie. Remember what a jerk he was in his movie? <laughs> and don't, what was it, Don't Look Back? What was his? Don't... Uh, you know, don't, don't Look Back is the, the Pennebaker documentary. Um yeah, he, I, he I, was I don't, a, I don't he remember was, Donovan in that. Yeah, yeah, Donovan came to say, hey, you know, I'm a big fan, and he was such a dick to him. My God. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the thing that always, that I, I, just sorry, we're, we're, we're diverting here, but the thing I, I, that always stands out for me about Don't Look Back was uh, um, the scene where the, the British journalist is talking to Joan Baez, and he has no idea who she is. Like, are you, are, are you Mr. Dylan's girlfriend or wife or, uh. oh, my God. <laughs> Amazing. I love that movie. <laughs> so, I mean, Joni Mitchell, you mentioned you've been the outspoken. She certainly has been over the years. So, um, including some interesting criticism she made of the 1960s, you know, boomers and counterculture movement. Um so is it fair to say Joni Mitchell's approach as far as being forthright on this stuff has had a bearing on your own work? I don't know. I, I think mostly it was that here, you know, grow, growing up and there wasn't that many role models for women other than just the singers in the band. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so Joni, not only that, but her songwriting and telling a story and, and, and being, being poetic and experimental, I mean, that, that was pretty, there weren't many role models. No. For me, but, and there still isn't in a way. I mean, it's better now, but... I mean, it is better now to some extent, but I mean, who would you argue are today's Joni Mitchells, Jill? Present company accepted, of course. Well, uh, that's a good question. I mean, who? it's going to be interesting, like, who are going to be the, you know, we could say the, the, the 60s and 70s, uh, you know, the Jonies and back to Canada, Neil Young and the, who, who are, who in the last 10 years our last 15 years are going to be the people that we talk about 30 years from now as iconic, uh, not, not just as that they were famous, but that they were, uh, you know, very special and amazing musicians and songwriters. I don't, I don't know that yet. No, no. Um, I do have a request though, from say the nineties and onwards, I've always dreamt of yourself, Suzanne Vega and Amy Mann doing some sort of collaboration. If you could sort that out some stage. I sure like those two, that's for sure. That would be an interesting combination of voices. Oh, you know what I was going to say back to Joni? I love it, mm-hmm. is that my favorite, one of my favorite concerts I ever saw in my whole life and was 
Joni's Shadows and Light tour. Okay. And it was at Red Rocks. And that was, you talk about the kind of jazz thing she had, but that was with Jocko and Wayne Shorter and the Brecker brothers. And, and, and it's this incredible Pat Metheny. It was just, just, she took this and, and she brought these people out live and, and, Beforehand, I never saw the one where she had the Tom Scott and the LA Express, but she she would she I would have loved to seen her tour with this this uh, album. Did she did, did she tour with uh, Court and Spark? I don't know. She had that. What was the live album that she had after this? Uh, it was uh, Miles of Isles, or uh, I think it was something like that. Anyway, yeah, it yeah. was it was the album after this one. Yeah, right. She must have, yeah. I wonder okay. if there's any footage of it, like there is of the shadows and light. Oh, I'm, I'm just do, doing doing a quick Google search now, and I can't find not not anything contemporary. No. Wow. She performed in April at a benefit concert, and then in August, and twice at the Corral Club, accompanied by Neil Young. So no, there doesn't seem to have been a tour around Court and Spark. That's so interesting. Isn't that strange? Because she, yeah, I'm trying to think if she toured with albums. I mean, Shadows and Light seems like it was a tour that they, I don't know if it was a tour to record a tour, uh, the tour as opposed to for a record. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a little tour. She's, wow. And so, Jill, I mean, any other big standouts for you from that album? Any of the real contrasts that st- still have stuck with you? I mean, for me... Um, the Raised on Robbery is one of those real contrasting points in the album that, that I love and also Twisted as the, the, the final song, which, um, Matthew, I think you mentioned was pulled through from a previous recording. Yeah, it, it was actually recorded for For the Roses, uh, but she felt that it what? was too much, too much of a departure for For the Roses, so she actually held that over. And, wow. and, and put it put it on court and spark. Out of my head, the way he described it. He said I'd be better dead than live. I didn't listen to his jive. I knew all along that he was all wrong, and I knew that he thought I was crazy, but I'm not dumb. My analyst told me that I was right out of my head. He said I'd need treatment. But I'm not that easily led, he said. I was the type that was most inclined. Went out of his sight to be out of my mind. And he thought I was nuts. No more ifs or ands or buts. Wow. And that was a Hendrix and Ross song? She didn't uh, write that song. No, she, she, didn't, she, didn't, she, didn't, she didn't write that. It's a, it's a, it's a cover. Oh, um, yeah. I can't remember I who. Told me. It, it's Kendrix and Ross or something. Annie... Something their stuff is really fun. Uh, Annie Ross, yeah. Annie Ross, yeah. Annie so, Ross. To a tenor saxophone solo, both the same name by Wardell Gray. Huh. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love Twisted. I, I, I gotta say, it's actually, I, I know it's a strange thing to say because it wasn't actually recorded for this album, but it's my favorite song on the album. That's fantastic. It's, it's just such a cool song. It has Chicken Chong on it. <laughs> It, I think, did I think Bette Midler actually recorded it too? Yes, on her first yeah, she did. She, she, she did a cover of it. Yeah. How funny. I think that one of the other songs was uh, All the People at This Party. They got a lot of yeah. stuff. Because I was, uh, you know, I was always, 
I always had was anxious going to parties, going to you know, mm. and and so uh, somehow I related to to Joni of uh, wanting to hide and and wishing you could laugh it off. So, and again, you know, she a more adult kind of narrative of all the the, the people at the party and the different kinds of people, and and so I, I related to that one. This party, they've got a lot of style. They've got stamps of many countries. They've got passport smiles. Some are friendly, some are cutting, some are watching it from the wings. Some are standing in the center, giving to get something. Photo beauty gets attention, and her eye paint's running down. She's got a rose in her teeth and a lampshade crown. One minute she's so happy, then she's crying on someone's knee, saying, laughing and crying, you know it's the same release. Jill, did the 13-year-old um, Jill ever think that she'd be actually going to people's houses and being the centre of the party playing house concerts? No, that would have been so strange. <laughs> No, that's what's it, it. That's pretty amazing, actually. And you, I, I mean, I, I'm assuming you enjoy doing those. But what, what, how are they different as far as preparing for a live gig where you've got such a, an intimate audience versus what would be a more traditional gig? Oh, I really like it, especially when it's inside and uh, where there's good acoustics, and I don't have to plug in, and it just. There, there's something that's just so casual and sweet. And, you know, there's different kinds of performers. Like Joni would hate these, I think. Joni, <laughs> Joni would, I think, you know how there's certain performers who they like space between them and the audience or they like the lights off or they like to be performing on a, on, on a stage. Whereas I, 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 I kind of like being right there and looking at people in their eyes and, um, you know. I think that is, uh, you know, not every artist would like that. Not for some reason, I don't think Joni would. No. Well, that was going to be my next question. I, I'd had that assumption as well. I just think that would be a little bit too confronting. No, I don't think she had that that kind of, not to say that, I don't think she was friendly in that way. Yeah. And And that's not saying anything bad. It's just how different people are, like, you know. People get away from me, you know. Well, I think. Although I, I have, yeah. No, you're right. I was going to say, and I think her doing a house concert and seeing Bob Dylan asleep on the couch just wouldn't make for a good vibe. She would not like that. Why do I love that story? I love Bob Dylan stories, by the way. They're the best. You know, friends that have uh, have uh, worked for him or had sessions with him. They've always got great stories. I assume you've heard the one just from the past few weeks where he um, actually played Freebird towards the end of one of his shows. Oh, you've got to love that! <laughs> oh. So That's I don't, I don't know whether, it, I don't know whether some wit actually did shout it out uh, as per the stereotype, but he did play it. I love that. I love that completely. I don't. I, uh, um, I, I didn't meet Joni, but I, I knew her, uh, I knew her ex, the bass player who, who produced all her records and, and, uh, 
So I, I did get to shake hands with the guy that slept with Joni. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hell of a good claim to fame. And, um, I mean, she's essentially disappeared from public view now. Um, well, she, because of yeah. health, health issues. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. She was at the Grammys a couple of months ago, but uh, that's, that's about the last time she's been seen in public. And she, what, how much did she smoke? Yeah. Well, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, she's, she's, a, she's, she's just something amazing. And, and I always love when younger people or younger artists, all of a sudden they discover her. There's something pretty amazing like uh, but, you know, it's like my, my, my nephews when they were 16 and they were like, have you ever heard of the Ramones or the Clash? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have. It's, it's pretty hard to rebel, isn't it? <laughs> it really yeah. is. How do you rebel these days? God. I'm going to, so, I'm going to really annoy you, Dad. I'm going to put on Black Sabbath. It's like, oh yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it up, man. <laughs> I know. Well, you guys, I have to run. I have an appointment, and no I can problems. talk to you all day. No, look, really appreciate the I time. Love, I love the chat. It's been great. Yeah, it's been absolutely great. Thank you so much for doing this, and um, yeah, we we look forward to hopefully seeing you on something other than Hey Hey It's Saturday Down Under um, in the future. I know. I I, I so have to... to find that video. Uh, you know what? I need to. We need to find that. And I've been, for some reason, I've been hanging out with a lot of people from Down Under. And uh, I did a song with, you know, who Ben Lee is? Oh, absolutely. So Ben it was working with me on a couple songs. And then for some reason, it's just, uh, maybe that's why he brought all his Australian friends to play on, on a couple tracks. So I hope to get down there. I really do. He was sitting in the lounge of the Empire Hotel. He was drinking for diversion. He was thinking for himself. A blue money riding on the maple leaves. Along comes a lady in lacy sleeves. So there we have it, Matthew. Um, I would have loved to have watched Jill perform at Bernie Sanders' campaign events. <laughs> I, I am very impressed. That was a that was a very fun conversation, and uh, you know what I've what I've seen of her videos. She looks like a very fun performer. I am about to uh, as soon as we stop recording here, I'm going to go uh, scour YouTube and find her on Hey Hey It's Saturday because <laughs> I have to see that. I tell you what, if Jill was a, a less entertaining um, interviewee, I would nearly have considered stopping recording after that anecdote and going, "There's a wrap." That's that's the best episode we've done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I just can't believe there's a catalogue of band types. That just blows my mind. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'll have the hot chicks, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, I, I wish they had that. Now, imagine the variety you could pick from. You know, I'll have the Bogan band. I'll have the... There'd be all sorts of options. I... 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 I Never knew that, but hey, hey. Yeah. I knew they would sing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, from memory, Doc Neeson refused to lip yes. sync on Hey, Hey. They, they actually had him sort of basically playing in, a, in an adjacent studio so he could be playing live. Yeah. No, uh, without, you know, destroying their audience. 
Um, but that aside aside from that, you know, I I, I knew that they lip synced on Hey Hey, but I didn't I didn't know that like the backing band were just people you picked out of a catalog. Yeah, what, what that a blew job. my mind. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, look, that, those were the days. So yeah, that that was uh, gold. But um, aside from that, yeah, it was it was just great talking to Jill and um, uh, yeah. Just... I wish you would come down to Australia. And I'm dead serious about the Vega Man Sobule um, collaboration. That would just about make my life. Yeah, that's 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 that, that's a combination of voices I'd like to hear. And I, I won't deny that I'm chasing the other two of those trio for interviews i'm going to do it if i'm going to achieve it if it kills me wow um that well you know uh i i understand that as a a a certain international singer songwriter of some acclaim is coming to australia in december (laughs) um so uh, perhaps we should be trying to uh to to rope him in i wish yeah look if i'd known four years ago had any left-handed bass guitarists on the show so far? Not yet. So he could I think be the for the, first. For the sake of diversity, for the sake of diversity, we need to have a left-handed bass guitarist. All right, leave it with me. I, I need to have started four years ago to foster that, and even then it would still be a no. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so, and but it, you, you can't hurt to try. <laughs> yeah. And I, I looked at the prices, Matthew. He's not cheap. Not that I expected him to be. He, he, he is not an inexpensive ticket, no. Uh and 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 yeah, four hundred and something bucks for the for the diamond, and that's not even the VIP level. And what does the diamond get you without going off on too much of a tangent? I assume very good I, seats. I, I I assume the the seating charts haven't been published yet, so we don't okay. know. We don't know what diamond level is, but apparently the VIP level gets you the front row. Right. If you buy if you buy VIP, you get front row. Yeah. So diamond doesn't get you the front row for four hundred bucks. You don't get to be in the front row. Yeah, that's big money, isn't it? But he needs it. Needs it, the poor bugger. Exactly, exactly. Think about the McCartneys. (laughs) Uh, So there we go. I I, I call that a wrap. We will be back in uh, another few weeks. So we we do have um, a a couple of uh, people actually lined up as next guests. So for those that are wondering about the regularity of schedule, it really does depend on... Uh, nailing people down to particular time zones, and Matthew and I being able to get together as well. So it's nearly impossible. I, I was watching movies, so that's right. It's nearly impossible to to make it a you know a regular fortnightly one. Just be aware that we are always actively working on the ne- next episode, and there will be one. Um, I'm assuming at this stage um, in three weeks' time, but. Um, in the meantime, if you'd like to offer an opinion, suggestion, or even offer yourself up as a guest to review an album you love, um, please don't hesitate to email us at contact at themusicweek.net or visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash music dissectors. Uh, all the previous episodes of the show are on iTunes and we're also on Stitcher and TuneIn. Um, and all episodes are on our website at themusicweek.net. Matthew. Especially get in touch with us if you are an entomologist. We, we, still we really do want to look for an entomologist to talk to. <laughs> um, Matthew, thank you as always. I uh, couldn't have done it without you. Well, I could have, but it well, would have been the same. You could. Yeah, it <laughs> wouldn't have been the same. Uh, particularly with Joni Mitchell, I, I was very much feeling I needed s- someone that had my back that knew a little bit more than me. So yeah. much appreciated. 
Uh, as, I, as I said, you know, in, in Canada, you, you can't not listen to Joni Mitchell. Or look, in Canada in the 70s, at least. That's I don't know right. about now. What would it be like? In, it, Canada, in, in Canada in the 70s, it was, uh, avoiding Joni Mitchell was like trying to avoid oxygen. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. couldn't do it. No, absolutely. So, yes, we'll be back in a few weeks. And as always, um, in the meantime, find a new album to love. <laughs>